If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Before uh, you do that, or as you turn, um, I just have one announcement. I meant to announce this last week, but I forgot, or at Escalade, but I forgot. The next thing that we have on the calendar is Ready Conference. So that is at the end of January, so last weekend in January. It's in Kansas City. Um, so we'll drive, we'll drive up to Kansas City on a Friday night, stay there Friday night. The conference is Friday and Saturday. We'll drive back on Saturday. So we're going to have a sign-up after this. Um, I'll have the iPad out, and you'll be able to sign up there. So if you want to go, please sign up and let us know. There, it's usually our, the ticket price has been up a little bit this year, um, but it's going to be in the ballpark of $50, 40 to $50 to go. So that'll be like for your hotel, for your ticket, for food and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I think it's January 28th and 29th. I think it's the last weekend in January. Yeah. What? Gavi. It's not me. It's not me. It's Gavi. It's Gavi. He's rapping. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he'll be there. But like I said, if you're interested in going, oh, pick just fell. If you want to go uh, after church, sign up. Um, and then what, I'll have a final price to you soon because they, they upped the ticket charge, so I'm not 100% sure. But it'll be in that range of 50, 50, probably $50 or so, and that'll cover hotel, all that sort of stuff. So with that said, uh, Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to pick up. We're going to continue to walk through this Advent season by looking um, at another character tonight who, similar to Zachariah and Elizabeth last week, uh, did not provide a tremendous amount of value to society. So if you remember Zachariah and Elizabeth, they were kind of low on the totem pole. Like he was a priest, but he wasn't like a significant priest. He was just kind of a, just a run-of-the-mill priest. Um, and then she was barren. She had never had a child before. So she, in, in, when it, in terms of culture, pretty much had no value because she was unable to have kids. So we're going to follow a similar sort of, uh, or follow down a similar sort of road tonight as looking at them, even though they were faithful, good, faith, good and faithful men and women of God, they were Pretty unknown, right? Um, they were of little estate. Sure enough, in the midst of their hopelessness, right, of not being able to have a child, uh, the Lord provided hope and gave them John the Baptist. And what we talked about a little bit was how this big picture story, right, how John the Baptist is this, like, gigantic figure in the faith and super important, how God used that big picture story, but he worked it through a small picture, a little picture of this couple that didn't have a child, and he was able to give them hope in the midst of their hopelessness. So we're going to continue to look at this sort of idea of, or specifically with Mary, we're going to see something tonight that's very similar of God working a gigantic story, like big picture story, but blessing an individual person through it, a smaller person through it. So if last week we saw hope, this week we're going to look at purpose, where Mary at this point in her life had no real purpose or if she had a purpose, it was completely defined uh, apart from her, where she was pretty much destined to do whatever she was told to do. There was no, she was from a poor town of no, had no sort of regard, so she had no real value to society. And this is kind of especially relevant for us as we've studied through Ecclesiastes, because Ecclesiastes is a book all about purpose, and the preacher's endless uh, search for purposefulness in per the midst of purposelessness. That's not a right. Oh, bars. Perp yeah, never mind. I'm going to try to repeat it. I can't repeat that. My, I'll get tongue twisted. Um, and to a degree, we might kind of feel the same thing, especially uh, at your age. 
we might feel the same thing of like, do I have a real purpose in life? Like, am I going after something real? If I don't, I didn't come from money. If I didn't, my, I'm not going to like be a pastor in my future. You know, my parents aren't like super influential. So if that stuff is true about you, like, do we have actual purpose and meaning in this life? Especially in today's culture where, especially your generation is kind of being taught that the like utmost degree of your life should be spent influencing, should be spent gaining followers, having some sort of voice in the culture. That's what our culture is telling us right now. We're telling your generation that even, I talked a little bit about this, it makes me sound like an old man, but even like with social media, there's a constant, what social media is teaching us to do is here, show everybody what you're doing all the time because everybody needs to see it. And if everyone sees it and your life is cool enough, then you'll have a lot of people see it. That's kind of what, that's, that's what we're in the midst of right now in our culture. And that's kind of preaching to us that to have sort of any sort of purpose in life, it requires some sort of celebrity or some sort of status. So the question is, does the Lord use small people? You already saw that last week a little bit, so our answer should be yes. But if it wasn't already yes, it should definitely be yes after reading about Mary. I don't want to, understand, I don't want to undersell what's going to happen in today's text. And our, what we're going to read is Gabriel announcing Jesus, announcing the Messiah. This is a huge, significant moment. Announcing the one who's going to end all suffering, he's going to redeem the Jew and the Gentile, who Isaiah calls the King of Kings, the, the uh, Prince of Peace, the one that was prophesied to come through the Old Testament. He's finally arriving. That's the point. Those reading this would have waited generations for this announcement. And that's the ultimate point of this text, is that Jesus is arriving. But it's impossible for us to miss what R. Kent Hughes says is an inescapable fact that the greatest news ever proclaimed in Israel came from the humblest of its people. It came from someone who should not have been carrying this message. These next two weeks are all about Mary. They're all about Mary. And again, I said this last week, I preach the same thing every single Advent. So two weeks are always given to Mary. We're going to see first sort of her being given this purpose in life of, okay, I'm going to carry Jesus. Like, I'm, this, is what, this is my lot in life. This is what I'm going to do. And then next week, literally praising the baby that's inside her belly <laughs> that is going to be named Jesus. And in this, the, these two stories, we sort of, again, I want to keep this dual picture in our head that God is working this gigantic big picture story, but in the midst of such small, mundane life. People that were not destined necessarily or shouldn't have been destined to this sort, of, this sort of influence in the world. And in this fact, we see that even in this story, something beautiful and a little bit of a metaphor of what Jesus is going to do in his ministry, was going to continue to do even as he left and as we still search or chase after him today, is that he, he came for needy people. <laughs> he came to needy people. He didn't come to fixed people. He came to needy people, not exalted people. That's the mark of Jesus' ministry. So we're going to see how that plays out. We're going to start in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. It says, In the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And he, or in the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. 
Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of, and the power of the Holy Spirit or the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And there he said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful and thankful to be together again, uh, to get to eat together tonight in fellowship, get to sing together and study the scriptures, Lord. I just pray that during this time that we would put aside all distractions, that for these next few minutes that we put our phones down, that our eyes would be up, that we'd be focused on what you have to say through this text, Lord. I just pray that you bless the rest of our evening together, that our conversations would be edifying, um, and that ultimately we would be transformed by this text. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so the very first thing that we see in this text in verse 26 is the angel Gabriel making another appearance. Now, this is heavy-duty work for Gabriel because Gabriel is someone who does not appear, like, a lot. We, saw him in Dan- we see him in Daniel, which we didn't actually get to during Escalate, but we see him in Daniel. That's pretty much it. We don't see him a lot of other places. He does not show up very often. So now in, between, in these two periods of six months, Gabriel is making these appearances. And Gabriel's a big deal. He's like an archangel. He is a super big deal. There's a few things that we need to take away from just these first three verses that seemingly are kind of, they, they might seem a little bit pointless or not like the point of the story. But there's a lot going on that makes, that's important for context. First, we should notice that Gabriel is sent to Galilee. Now, for us, we, that means, like, nothing, right? Like, I don't know if, any, if anyone knows about Galilee, anyone knows about, like, the Middle East. But, like, he, th- we don't really care about that. But to a Jewish person who is reading this text, that would maybe been the first thing that they saw. Our eyes might be caught by, like, oh, wow, God sent an angel, right? God sent Gabriel. That's amazing. But the Jewish person in this context would have been like, what, what, God sent an angel to Nazareth, to Galilee? Why would he do that? I think this is maybe going to be slanderous to this town because I know nothing about this town. It could be fine. But I think there's, there's a town in Arkansas called like Blue Eye or Blue something. Blue Eye, Arkansas. I don't know. It's super tiny. Like nothing really going on there. That's just the most random town I, town I could think of. I feel like God's sending Gabriel to that town. Or to like Neosho is a better example for me because I know Neosho. And there's like nothing going on in Neosho. So if God sent Gabriel to Neosho instead of, I don't know, like New York, right? Like the sort of Mecca of all American cities. They would have noticed this. They would have taken note that Gabriel was sent to this place, not even just Galilee, so not even just like this, uh, this nation that was kind of like downtrodden a little bit and not super important for the Jewish people, but to Nazareth, which was this super tiny town. This isn't even a city. It wasn't mentioned at all in the Old Testament. It wasn't until actually like 50 or 60 years ago that anybody could find a mention of Nazareth before the scriptures. Like nobody knew about this place. And in John 1:46, Nathaniel famously asks, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So there, this, this place got nothing going on. And if it does have anything going on, it's not good. It makes me think of this conversation I had with a friend of mine a few weeks ago. We, were, we, we noticed, this isn't actually like an original thing for us, like this is just a reality and we just noticed it, but if, like every single like hip-hop artist that's like ever existed is from like Atlanta or Houston. Every single one of them, it's crazy. Like if you, if you just look, like it, or Chicago, I guess that too, but if you just look at these lists, like they're all from the same place. So we wanted to find an artist that was like not from there, like someone just from a random city, and there was a few that we found from like Iowa, but they weren't famous. They were like from Iowa, 
you know, like trying to become famous. I'm like, you're not going to be famous, dude. You're from Iowa. But like we were trying to find, we finally found one that was from Frankfurt, Germany, and like moved to Fayetteville, North Carolina, which is like a town the size of Springfield. Like this is like a really big name, really big dude that came from nowhere, not from Atlanta, not from Houston. But then he eventually moved to New York because he wasn't finding anything in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Like he had to get somewhere else. That's what this story made me think of. But this isn't just like a hip-hop artist, okay? This was Jesus. This is the, the Messiah that had been prophesied for so long. And God sends Gabriel past Judea, past Jerusalem, past the temple to this little town called Nazareth that had no sort of value, no, nothing there that was, any, that was any good. So we should also see that he came to a virgin who was betrothed to be married to this man named Joseph. And the fact that she was a virgin was intentional. Jesus was going to be both God and man. He was not going to have an earthly father. He's going to have an earthly mother, but not have an earthly father. But aside from that, we're going to get to that in just a second. But aside from that, it shows us Mary's vulnerability. Now, this is super crucial for us to understand. I always point this out every single year I preach about this. But Mary was maximum 14 years old. Like, that was the max. Like, she was between 12 or 14 years old. And again, I say this every single year, but I was, I'm always filled with, like, tremendous empathy for Mary. Because aside from the fact that we just, like, are like, okay, that's just what happened in culture then. And as much as we can, like, say that, I can't, like, help but think about, like, the, maybe, like, the fear and anxiety that a girl her age would have had in this time of her life of, like, I don't get to decide anything for my life. I'm going to go marry this dude that I did not choose to marry, that my dad made me marry. And, like, the, even the fact that this is happening, not, like, when she's, like, 18, 19, 20, but when she's 12, 13, 14 years old. So I'm always filled with empathy for her. But we'll notice that God did not come to Joseph, like, for permission. <laughs> it wasn't like, hey, Joseph, I need to talk to Mary. He goes to Mary directly. He came straight to her. Mary would have represented the most powerless and needy people in society. She had absolutely no ability to decide what her life would look like. It would look like what her husband told her it would look like, and that was because her father told her it was going to look like that. So no power at all. But the archangel Gabriel sent from direct order of God shows up to Mary, not just showing up, but then saying, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now again, we have to think about this in the context of who would be reading this. this. Not Americans in an, in an era where like women have full autonomy to do what they want. This would have been read by Jewish people in the ancient world. They would have been like, why on earth is God sending an angel to talk to this woman, to this girl? Why is he doing this? Thinking about this, or think about the archangel Gabriel showing up on your doorstep and not just showing up, but saying you are specially favored by God. So God not only bypassed Judea and Jerusalem and the temple specifically, but he came to Mary specifically. Like he picked her specifically. He chose her. Showed up in this sort of nasty, like grimy town, right? You guys, you guys ever watch like the, those like lottery show or the, like the videos of people showing up with like a lottery check or whatever just to a random house? Be like, hey, you want a bunch of money? You ever seen those? They're like, not your generation. Maybe it isn't. But like people, I remember watching videos of people just showing up with like a giant check and be like, this check's yours. Kind of makes me think of that, except maybe if it wasn't a check, maybe if it was just like someone super famous just showed up on your doorstep and was like, hey, what's up? Makes me think actually of whenever Tony Stark shows up to Spider-Man's house, right? It's Tony Stark and he's like living in this old like rundown apartment. That's probably what this, not, I mean, on a very low scale, but it was similar to what would have been felt here. It's like, why are you here? Like, why are you talking to me? It says that she was greatly troubled trying to discern what that meant whenever he said, oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. 
Again, it's almost like someone that tells you such good news, you can't really comprehend what's actually said. Anytime I think about the Royals winning the World Series, which was like six years ago, I'm still like, that didn't happen. Still, like to this day, it's crazy. Like probably like once every month, I'll think like, oh my gosh, they really did it. That's wild. Like it's similar. Like she would have been like, what, what, what do you mean? What do you mean the Lord is, I'm favored with the Lord. What does that mean? She's trying to discern this, what it means. And this wasn't excitement, it's fear, right? It's like, he can't possibly be talking to me. He's got to be talking to someone else. Maybe I need to go to Joseph or go get my parents, right? Maybe even, even in TV shows where you're like, can I talk to your parents? Uh, yeah, let me go get my parents. Let me go get my mom. That's not what's happening here. He's there specifically to talk to her. He says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Just like Daniel, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember, he says, do not be afraid. He's comforting her, even in this moment. And I read a commentary that said he probably tamed his appearance, or Gabriel's kind of a scary-looking dude. He probably didn't come looking the same way, because Mary isn't, like, totally, like, scared at this point, based on what we know from the text. So he probably, like, looked more normal. But he was still comforting her in the fear that she was surely showing him. This would have gotten her attention and the attention of the readers because of, because of that exact question we heard earlier from Nathaniel, like, what good could possibly come from Nazareth? What good could possibly come from a 14-year-old girl from Nazareth? The Lord appeared with this news of the coming Savior to an absolute nobody, to a nobody, to the least valuable person in this society, which would have been a, which would have been a teenage girl, gave her purpose, said that she had found favor with him. And I don't want to dive too much into this because I don't know that much about Mary's upbringing. But Mary's response to discern this greeting and even the fact that she found favor with God shows us a little bit about who she was. She was not just like an average 12 or 14-year-old girl. That she was following the Lord. She was quiet. She was contemplative of what was happening. And your culture, and I, again, I sound like an old man today, the culture is kind of begging you to not do this, to not have this response, to, not have be, to ever be silent, to not sort of meditate or think about things that are happening, to constantly saturate yourself with content, whatever it might be. We can't even like sit anywhere without pulling our phones up, which again, old man, I know. But this is what culture is kind of pushing us towards. She was able to do it. 12, 14 years old. I love these stories. I love these stories so much because it's like why I got into youth ministry. It's like, oh, look at this. Like, here's a young person who had the capability and the capacity to follow the Lord. It's possible. Anyway, Gabriel didn't just show up to say hi. He had this message. Look at verse 31. Verse 31, he says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. This is the important part. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So like I said, Gabriel's not just here to say hi. He had a message for them specifically. Mary is going to bear a son. His name is going to be Jesus. And I think this is going to be the hardest part of the message maybe for Mary. She's still trying to wrap her head around the fact that she's seeing an angel. But now this angel is saying that she's going to have a son. And not just a son but that it's not going to be from her husband, or from her fiancé at least, what will be her husband. So she's kind of asking this, like, how is this possible? Like, is this, is this going to be true? But then the fact that, it says this, that he says to name him Jesus, this Jesus is like, was a common, or commonly understood as the word for Savior. Even as someone who is likely following the Lord at her age, she's still like 12 or 13 years old, 14 years old. She likely did not understand 
She's probably too, un, too young to understand the theological implications of this. But the message here is the most important part. I'm going to talk so much about Mary tonight. Like, I really like these stories and get into, like, dive into the weeds on, like, the characters themselves because I love to see that stuff. But the point of tonight's message or the point of this text is the message that was sent by Gabriel. This is not, not, the, not the virgin birth, not Mary, but the message. He says that he would be human as the son of the most high, right? He's a human being. He's going to be God. In verse 35, it says that he is the son of God. So he's going to be human and God at the same time. He'll be given the throne of his father David, reign over the house of Jacob forever. And then of his kingdom, and there will be no end. There's a story um, called the road to Emmaus. I reference it somewhat frequently. But it's, it happens right after Jesus had died and then he resurrected. And in this story, Jesus disguises himself to this group of men who are sort of walking. They're downtrodden, right? They're walking. They're sort of like, they look depressed, having heard that Jesus had been killed, but he didn't know that. Or I guess Jesus did know that, but he is acting like he didn't know that. So he disguises himself to them and asks them, he's like, hey, what's going on? Like, why are you guys so sad? And one of them said to him, he says, are you, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here the last few days? He says, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. So they're essentially saying, like, you not heard? Jesus died. Like, they crucified him. Our own people. We crucified Jesus. They were sad about that. This is the important part. The important part is that he said, he followed that by saying, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Now, why did they think that? Why would they hope that? Well, because, Jesus, because God said that. He says, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So they're sitting there thinking, well, Jesus said he's going to do all these things, and then he died. He got crucified. So now what? Like, Rome is still over us. <laughs> like, there's no relief from that. Like, there is no redemption right now. But this is really important. I'm going to flip real quick to finish this. I don't know why I didn't write all this in my notes. This is stupid. But I'm going to flip um, and read the end of the story in Matthew, or Luke 24, if you want to flip there with me. You don't have to, but if you want to. But in the end of Luke uh, 24, it says this, starting in verse 21, he says, We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. He says, Yes, and besides all this, this is where it gets funny. He says, Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of, company, or of, of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So they're acknowledging here. They're like, we're really sad that Jesus was crucified. Really sad that he died. We thought he was going to redeem Israel. And then they almost say like, oh, well, actually, well, I guess we should also say that, okay, well, they're saying he like rose from the dead. And they're like, I don't even care. It's, like, it's just like an afterthought to them. And then Jesus responds to them and says, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So he's saying, like, were you not listening to me whenever I said that I was going to get crucified and that I was going to walk or get raised from the dead? They thought that Jesus was coming to restore Israel and to save them from Rome from, like, a military standpoint or from, like, a governmental standpoint. But what we should note here is that he said no such thing, but that those dreams were way too small. He says that his kingdom would never end. So David and Solomon, they grew Israel tremendously, but their kingdoms ended. Solomon is still considered one of the richest men to ever live, and his kingdom ended. Not only did his kingdom end, but his son like, lost like 80% of the wealth that he had accumulated over his life. But when Jesus resurrected, the kingdom was far from over. 
He said that his kingdom, or this, this, this prophecy in Luke 1, says that his kingdom, there, of his kingdom, there will be no end. He will rule over the house of Jacob forever. The road to Emmaus is a great example of us being short-sighted on what Jesus was here to do. Of them saying, I, I, I really want to roam off our backs. And Jesus is like, have you not been listening to what I've been saying? Even Solomon, too, in all of his splendor, he came from David, from royalty. He was like the son of David. He was, he was if you follow, like, the uh, like British monarchy, like, you know that, like, every once in a while, like, there's a, a queen or a prince or whatever, and they have a child, right? And it's like a huge deal, the royal baby. This is similar. Like, that would have been Solomon, the royal baby. Even his kingdom ended. Now, the king that would redeem Israel, whose kingdom would reign forever, came from Mary, from Nazareth. No royalty at all. We still wait for that because one day Jesus is going to return and establish this everlasting kingdom on earth for his people. This is the good news of Advent and the good news of this announcement. This is Gabriel not having this small view of the kingdom that the men on the road to Emmaus had, but having this big picture view of this kingdom will never end. It's going to be eternal. Now, this was too much for Mary to understand, but it wasn't because of unbelief. Look at verse 34. It says that, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And whenever we read that, and this is really straightforward, okay? It's a really straightforward question. There's not a lot of deep, like, theological meaning here. It says, How could this be? This is a biological question. How can I have a child if I've not been with my husband yet? Like, we're not married yet. It doesn't make sense. She's asking a, a legitimate question. This is not the same kind of thing that we saw last week with Zechariah, whatever he asks, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. He's saying, you're telling me I'm going to have a child. I don't know how that's possible because I'm super old. My wife's super old and she's barren. It was unbelief from his side. Mary didn't lack belief. She lacked understanding. In fact, Warren Wearsby thinks it's even deeper than that. He says that her question wasn't of unbelief. Rather, it was an expression of faith. She believed the promise but did not understand the performance. So I'm going to read that one more time and listen to her question. How will this be? How will this be? She's, she's pretty much on board. She's like, this is going to, I know it's going to be. How? How are you going to do this? Unlike Zechariah before her or Moses before him or Abraham before him, Mary believed. We have a very long track record in the scriptures of people not believing whenever God tells them something. But this young 14-year-old Mary had a greater faith than those seasoned men of God. It's almost like childlike faith if you've ever heard that. And the answer to her question was really simple. It was miraculously that this child was going to be born. It says the Holy Spirit would overshadow her, conceive the child in her womb miraculously without the need for a husband. And most importantly, this child would be called the Son of God. Remember, this is big picture, little picture, big picture here. The child is going to be fully man and fully God, untainted by sin. He says he will be called holy. This is crucial. This is a, the, this is a crucial theological doctrine that Jesus would come into this world as a man, that he would be tempted in every way that we are, but completely untainted by sin, completely without sin. And he tells this story of Elizabeth and how God had allowed her to conceive at her old age and that she was in her sixth month of her pregnancy. And then she, he states at the very end of this conversation, says that there is nothing impossible with God. Now Mary's posture should be our posture where it's not if, but how, or not if, but when. It's a little bit different than us because the things that we hope for in this life, the things that we desire to happen in our lives, I'm going to guess that they probably don't come via angel. 
that an angel probably doesn't show up on your doorstep and says, like, this thing's going to happen to you. That probably didn't happen. So for her, it's a little bit more sure whenever she, whatever he says, okay, or she says, I, I believe you, and how's it going to happen? But the principle still stays the same, that God's promises are 100%. The question is not if they will come true, but how and when they will come true. So it should be telling to us that Mary of all people had this great faith. Someone early in her faith life, untouched by sort of the cynicism that comes with age. I've even sort of experienced that a little bit recently of like the longer you live, the more times you see like that you struggle or see like disappointment, the harder it becomes to take God at his word. But Mary is young. She is uninfluenced by that. She just has this childlike faith of God says it's true, then it must be true. Gabriel says this amazing hard thing to believe that the Holy Spirit would miraculously give her a son. And unlike those men that I mentioned before, her response is not disbelief, but it's the opposite. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. That might be the most important verse to take to heart from this entire text for more reasons than one. First, she acknowledges that she believes this to be so. She says, let it be to me according to your word. She's saying, okay, that's what's going to happen, so let it happen. But it's deeper than that. This was a difficult thing for Mary here, not just from the fact that in our culture we're sort of like, well, this is really inconvenient, right? Like, I don't want to have a kid when I'm 14 years old. Like, it's really inconvenient. My whole life's turned upside down now. This is beyond that. She was not married yet, and that her being pregnant would have immediately started to storm these rumors. And honestly, if we're being, if we're being completely honest, are usually justified rumors in, the, in this circumstance, that she had committed adultery, either with her fiancé or with another man, right? This is a difficult thing for her to hear. She knew what would happen to this. This is in, the t- in, the, in this age of, of the law where women who committed adultery were thrown out into the court and stoned to death for it. So she's sitting there as a 14-year-old being like, uh, I really don't want to get stoned. <laughs> like she understood that this was a possibility. But she doesn't even like talk back to the Lord. That's what I love about this. She doesn't even ask questions that are like a disbelieving question. She just surrenders him and says, I'm the servant of the Lord. It shouldn't go without saying that again, she was the one with this response, not those like great men of the faith with so much less to lose. Like even I think of Abraham and I think Jacob did this too. The multiple times that they're going through cities and they're worried that their wives are gonna be, they're gonna be killed because of their wives. And they say, no, she's actually my sister and just let their wife go off with these other men, right? Because they're scared. Like it's, it's not, they're scared so they're gonna let their wives deal with it. All these, these men had le- so much less to lose than Mary, but it were so, had less faith and less belief than Mary did. She belonged to the Lord. She surrendered to the Lord. This would have been tremendously difficult to do, but surely she did it because she now sees this sort of value that God provided for her in her life. That Mary, of all people, that God would show up on her doorstep and say, you are favored. <laughs> I find favor in you. She wasn't just this sort of lowly handmaid. She was this lowly handmaid who was seen and loved and favored by her creator. That is important. And this surrender brings us back to this big picture, little picture motif once again as we close. The big picture is so simple, right? The big picture is that Christ is coming. That's what the word Advent means, coming. That's what we celebrate every single Christmas, that Christ said that he would come, that he did come. Like, that's the whole point. And what the man on the road to Emmaus missed was that his resurrection and his return were just as important as his initial coming. 
So a lot of theological truths that we wrestle with in this text. We talk about Jesus being fully God and fully man. We've talked about the virgin birth, which is the ultimate sign of Jesus's divinity of what makes him God. Then the Davidic king, where he says that you're going to be the, uh, the father of your father, David. This Davidic king we hear about is described uh, in, in Isaiah 9, 6, where we also hear that this king will be named the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. There's so many like, things here that tie into all the scriptures. They're like prophesied. There's so much like theological stuff here. It all points to this proof that Jesus was not just a man or a prophet, that he was the son of God, fully God himself, carried by Mary, not born to a biological father, but of the Holy Spirit miraculously. This was the one they'd been waiting on, which makes it insane that he would be able to preach these, the things that he was going to preach and have them say, no, I don't believe you, or that he would resurrect from the dead on the third day and then have these dudes on the road of Emmaus acting like it's an afterthought. You're like, well, he said he's going to take over Rome, and I guess I should mention that he resurrected from the dead, but that's not really relevant. This is who they were waiting on. This king had come, but the, the little picture cannot be ignored. Mary is the focus here. She is the main character of this story. That is telling, considering what Jesus was coming to do. He was not, it's, a, it, it's foreshadowing what he was going to do. He was not here for the, for the healthy, but for the sick. He wasn't here to dine with the righteous, but to dine with the sinner. He's going to choose fishermen and tax collectors as his disciples. He was going to choose someone who had once persecuted his people to the most severe degree to write half the New Testament. Christ came to this lowly girl in a no-good town. He didn't go to the temple. He didn't go to, this, to a Pharisee. He came to someone who was humble, poor in spirit, and what we should take away from this and see is that Mary obeyed. Listen to God. Unlike so many people in the scriptures, at 14 years old, she had found favor with God. She believed God's promise to her and had faith in his ability to accomplish it. Called herself a servant of God and took on an impossible mission that she knew would possibly lead her to her being stoned. Right? And she did it anyway. But more importantly, she surrendered to the Lord. Let it be according to your word. That's got to be our mindset in life. If I'd have Jason come up and if you could stand with me. It has to be our motivation. This surrender to the Lord. Saying, let it be to me according to your word. Once again, the Lord is showing us how he works through small, unknown, unfamous, meaningless people. Mary's entire purpose in life to this point was to marry this dude. I misspelled that as Mary in my notes. That's funny. With a capital M. Her, her entire life's purpose at this point was to marry this guy that she didn't choose to marry, to have children. She had no free choice, no say in her life, completely devalued in her culture. And the Lord came specifically to her. Cannot miss that, man. Cannot miss that, how countercultural that was in, this, in that context. For us now, it's like, oh, whatever, you know, women can do whatever they want. That's not the case here. Man, every time, I've, that's two weeks in a row I've done that. I'm sorry. Hey, it should show that I'm on time, you know? I'm on time. This is so countercultural that the people reading this would have been like, why is, why is God speaking to this person? Why is God talking to this girl? Just like Zachariah and Elizabeth last week, God is foreordaining all of this big picture stuff to happen. And thinking about it, he's going to take this huge redemption plan, and in the midst of it, he's going to bless this young girl named Nobody would have known her name if I hadn't decided this. So much so that Mary calls herself next week blessed by all generations. 
we see here Mary's heart of surrender and God's heart of grace. They're both, they're, they're, they work together, working in one accord. That we, as we surrender, God is full of grace. Tonight is what I want us to experience, to experience this abundant grace of God, have the same heart of surrender that Mary had because we've learned over the last few weeks, sometimes surrendering means doing hard things hard decisions, being, having to endure hard situations. For the non-Christian tonight, the lowliness of Mary should show how much God values you, even if you don't see that. For Ephesians 1 says that we were chosen by God before the foundations of the world. So whenever I say, I've said this a lot over the last two weeks, I'm going to say it again next week, where I talk about like before the foundations of the world, God was thinking about these like massive redemptive plans. And in his head at those exact times, he's like, well, actually, during that time, I'm going to bless Zachariah and Elizabeth, and I'm going to bless Mary too. I keep saying that. That's the same for the Christian. That's the same for us today. That's not just for Mary. That before the foundation of the world, God had chosen us. The only thing that God asked for to receive this grace, this eternal life, is to surrender to him, to repent and surrender to him. So tonight, if you haven't done that, do that. Be like that in the road to Emmaus of like, I, yeah, I haven't seen enough from him. I wanted him to, to do this other thing. I wanted him to conquer Rome instead so I can't possibly follow him. It shouldn't be like that. We should turn and surrender to him because he's filled with grace, wanting to give that grace to us. And for the Christian, the same applies. We need renewed surrender in our hearts every single day, <laughs> every single like hour of our lives. We need renewed surrender, having this mindset of let it be done according to your word. That is hard. Listen, let me tell you, Christian, that is difficult to do. Because sometimes let it be done according to your word is not fun at all. Sometimes it's super hard. Sometimes it really sucks. Life is really not fun. But what we see in these texts and these stories, and even through Daniel, the Lord is always faithful to the person who, who says this, to the person who says, let it be done according to your word. Mary surrendered out arguing apart because she's not hardened by life experiences like yet. A lot of you guys are in that same spot. Like, I don't want to say your life's not been hard yet. I'm gonna say that a lot of you guys haven't experienced maybe the negative things that you'll experience in the future. So it's a really great opportunity to surrender to the Lord, to have that sort of childlike faith and build that affection for him. Instead of having to do it when life is like crumbling around you. So tonight we're gonna have a chance to respond to this with someone to talk to someone. I'll be down here to pray with you.